lay aside our issues, fix our hearts so we can hear from you. We know the world is broken and we know nobody really has it all together. But that don't stop your word from being holy, being right, and being true. And that's the word we want to receive today. Help us to look past the preacher and keep our eyes on the cross. Feed us, bread of heaven, until we want no more. And then we'll be content with knowing what your spirit has to say to the church. And then we will obey what you ask of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. If you open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We are walking through the book of Acts for our visitors who are here for the first time. Thank you for worshiping with us. We want to welcome you to the New Beginnings Baptist Church. We are an expository teaching and preaching church. And that simply means that we believe in preaching through the entire book of the Bible, through books and chapters at a time, comma by comma and line by line. And our exegetical work takes us through the book of Acts this month, and we invite you to come and study with us. Acts chapter 9 is where we rest today. We're picking up in a series that we started on last week and beginning at verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, I think there may be one in the pew in front of you. If not, that good looking person next to you will let you look on with them. Amen. Acts chapter 9 verses 10 through 19. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called straight and inquire at the house of Judas For one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer For my name. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, 
there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. And then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor today one last time. Tell them, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. This morning, the pastor wants to talk to you about God's ministry for Ananias. And oh, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. This is a discipleship challenge. Amen. You may be seated. Good to see you, Reverend Mason. At the time of this text, family, ministry had taken off for the church of Jesus Christ. For the saints had been scattered from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And God was on the move. He was also saving unlikely candidates and calling them into his kingdom service. Saul, the Christian killer, had just been apprehended by God while he was on his way to arrest more Christians. And God was now making his disciples the way he wanted to make them. When we come to this text, he calls Saul. He called him on last week and he did it personally, he did it intimately, and he did it in a divine manner. You remember me telling you he blinded him first and then he sent him to a remote place where he would encounter God through the ministry of a secret disciple. Can I say some more? Our text today is going to look at a man that God elects to use for his honor and glory. In other words, you and I probably wouldn't have chosen. But God chooses him for a unique task and a unique situation. This brother has no special credentials. He has no special abilities. This man is an average believer. However, he's a man that has a call on his life to make disciples. And God elects to use him, family, because God can trust him with sacred and powerful things. Now, today's text is for the believer. It's for the believer who's available to be used by God. Can I say that again? This text has got the worker in the church address. If you are willing to obey God in spite of being in difficult assignments, then this text is for you. If you're here today and you say, God can't trust me or call on me to do nothing serious for him, then now's the time for your nap. 
I got three points I'm going to give you. If you got to sleep, I just gave you permission right there. Three points I'm going to give you as we talk about God's ministry for Ananias. Number one, we're going to talk about Ananias' assignment. Number two, we're going to wrestle with Ananias' assessment. And then we're going to look at Ananias' uh, uh, um, admonition. Amen. Amen. It's good to write it down. Amen. Look with me at verse 10. Y'all in there with me? The text says, now there was a certain disciple. You see that in your text? You should circle that. Why? Because this disciple is getting ready to be explained to you or open to you on why he's a certain disciple. He's a certain disciple at Damascus who's named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for he's praying. This is interesting right here, this certain disciple, because there's only three Reverend Masons, Ananias is in the New Testament. The first Ananias we run into was a chief priest. He tried to crucify Jesus. Tell your neighbor, but this ain't him. The second Ananias stole money from God. And God killed him and his wife in the church. Tell your neighbor, we know this ain't him. This Ananias is different from the other two. Now you see why Luke says he's a certain disciple? In other words, tell your neighbor, I ain't like nobody else. God picks and chooses those he wants to use for his honor and his glory. Now that's worth you coming today. When we arrive at the text, we see that God is on the move, watch this now, using his disciples to further his agenda in the earth. What do you mean, Pastor? Yeah, yeah, this assignment of Ananias, we see, it comes to this unknown disciple in a remote location for a divine purpose. Can I say some more? Ananias ain't in Damascus because he felt like moving to Damascus. He's in Damascus because he ran from Jerusalem because Saul was trying to kill him. Can I say some more? He's in Damascus, Mason, because God got a plan for him there. He thinks Damascus is safer, but God has him there because God had already went before him. (laughs) Can I let my hair down? Listen, the disciple of Jesus Christ, no matter where you go, you should always be ready to receive a difficult assignment from God. If God gives you trouble to push you out of one place, don't think you can run from trouble just because it's trouble. God has a way of bringing that same trouble right around to you. Why? Because he wants to use you in the season of trouble for his honor and his glory. The Lord said to him, arise. And go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For why? Behold, he's praying. Now notice this. In this assignment of Ananias, God calls for him, I like this, 
to stop what he's been doing in Damascus and get up from his place of comfort and go now and look for one you've been running from. Okay, let me back my way in there. Life for Ananias had got comfortable. He finally got to the place where he wasn't looking over his shoulder. Y'all with me here? The Judaizers wasn't trying to arrest him and take him to prison. He finally found peace. Okay, can I keep it real? He moved from the hood to the suburb. Come on. Ain't nobody stealing this stuff no more, y'all. Now y'all in here with me, right? And life was good now to Ananias. And guess what God did? God broke right into his reality to break up his reality, to give him a mandate at an unusual time and in an unusual manner. Though he thought he had ran from persecution, persecution was still in the vicinity. God gave him this assignment at a time of uncertainty and instability. In other words, Tina, good to see you, daughter. God in this vision, God in this vision, he came and speaks to Ananias personally. This invitation doesn't come through an apostle. It doesn't come through another church leader. God knows where to find Ananias when he needs him. Secondly, what he does is he sends him to a place that he wouldn't normally go to. This guy named Judas, who has this house, was probably most likely a Judaizer connected with Saul pre the Damascus Road experience. Saul's friends were with him on the way to persecute Christians when Jesus interrupted their journey blinded him and then told him to get up and go into Damascus, right? And there you're going to receive instructions on what I'm about to do. Well, they just simply followed the rest of the instructions. The place they was going to anyway was already looking for him. So this is a place that tells me that Ananias would have not normally been connected with. He was running from Saul trying to save his life. Now, why is he going to hook up with Saul's associates when he's afraid of Saul's associates? Can I put my weight on it right here? God literally sends him to go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. And watch this now. Ask for the one who tried to kill you. In other words, in this assignment, Ananias has got to face his fears. Y'all in here today? One of his nightmares is about to come true. The man he had run from, Zuniga, had come to Damascus for, God now wants him to run to instead of running from. The man he once prayed against, now God wants him to pray for. The man who once, yeah, was against God, God now wants him on the team. And he ain't asking Ananias for permission. Can I put my weight on it? Just like Ananias, Reverend Mason, sometimes God takes our worst fears and puts them on display. Sometimes God keeps your enemies in your life so you can serve them. You ever wonder why I can't get rid of this dude? 
Sometimes God takes the one who threatens you and brings them back to you so you can bless them. Sometimes God sets you up to be used by him when we don't want to be bothered by him. Uh-huh. That's why we take these excursions and these secret places. God shows up in those places, though, don't he? You minding yourself on the beach, drinking what you drink. Come on, talk to me. And somebody walk up with a God question. Y'all laughing, but you feel like, how God find me here? When you his disciple, you on assignment. Wherever you go. Look, sometimes God gives you difficult people to serve because God can trust you to do the right thing. Uh, Sometimes facing your fears and facing your past is what God has in store for you. We spend a lot of our time trying to run from who we were last year. And God wants you to stand up and deal with who you were last year. Sometimes you can run from your soul, but God will bring him right to your hiding place. Y'all catch that? Now why? Why would he do this, Pastor? Because God wants you to minister to him in the moment of his weakness. Can I just tell you, if you God's minister, God's son, God's daughter, he can do with you whatever he want to do with you. He told him last week, it's hard for you to kick against the prick, man. All right, y'all, y'all ain't convinced. Let me get you point number two. His assignment was to go to Straight Street, pray for Paul. Look at Ananias' assessment about his assignment. This is how he assesses what God has called him to do. I think this guy is an intellectual. So let's look at it. Verse 12 says, and in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. This is God telling Ananias about what Paul has seen. And he's seen Ananias. He's seen you coming in and putting your hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Verse 13, here's the assessment. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I heard about this man. I heard about how much harm he didn't jump to your saints in Jerusalem. Pastor Tate, then he says, and here, Lord, he's got authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Can I unpack it? Here we see the reluctance on the part of a servant to do what God had called him to do. And I believe we see his reluctance in that he is afraid. In other words, fear is trying to set in to keep him from doing what God has called him to do. Somebody will say, hmm. But I like this because I believe that God knows he's still afraid of Saul. So in order to get him to obey what God is asking him to do, God's got to give him a little more information up front. Can I unpack it? Look at verse 19. He says, he's seen you already coming in a vision and you're coming to lay your hands on him that you might, he might receive his sight. In other words, God reveals here that Saul can't see. So he can't hurt you, Ananias. God reveals that that Saul can't hurt you, man. Saul can't kill nobody. 
He's no longer a threat to your physical health. And he don't have his vision. And he's already saw you. I showed him to you. Or you to him. Then Ananias, you're the one coming to help him in his trouble. This is what I call one of those divine things, Deacon Lorder, where God seems to be working both sides of the human redemptive story. Y'all in here with me? Come on, are you in here with me? Can I unpack it? Number one, he sends Saul to Damascus to disrupt his wicked activity. He could have stopped him in Jerusalem. But instead, he sends him to Damascus before he stops him on the road. Secondly, as he's sending Saul to Damascus, he already sends Ananias ahead to Damascus, who's running for his life. Why? So he can be prepared to meet Saul, who's trying to kill him. Okay, y'all ain't convinced. Thirdly, he blinds Saul so Saul can see. Fourthly, he uses Ananias' fear so Ananias can believe. And then fifth, or fifth of all, he gives Saul a vision of a man he's trying to hurt, but who will soon be the man who will help him. God is literally working the redemptive story from beginning to end using their failures, using their brokenness, using their ugliness so that he might be glorified. You know why I like that? Because it says God is not subject to time. He knows the calling from the beginning to the end. And he can set the heathen up only to redeem the heathen over here. Don't you be confused about where your life is on the compendium of time in the heart and in the hand of God. He knows your beginning just like he knows your end. And he's working both sides of redemptive history from the start to the beginning. All the stuff you messed up, he already saw it. Didn't catch him by surprise. Can I say some more? Sometimes God has to play both sides of the field in order to accomplish what he has for you in your life. Can I say some more? Sometimes God will set you up to use you in a a place for his honor and his glory. Sometimes God uniquely reveals his plan to you when you least expect for him to. Sometimes he doesn't use circumstances to inform you or prayers to inform you. Sometimes he doesn't use an audible voice, but sometimes he has to use a vision for you. Why? Because if it's a voice, you can deny you heard it. If it comes to an outside messenger, you could just say that's your opinion. But when he show up and show you, you without excuse of what you're supposed to do. Ask your neighbor, is he talking to you today? Is he talking? What I like about this text and Ananias' assessment, Brother Will, it gets interesting and it gets deep right here. See, in Ananias' assessment, son, he thought, he thought 
that Saul had another motive for being in Damascus. Are y'all listening here? He thought that God should know what Saul was up to in Damascus. He thought he had inside information, McBride, about Saul's work in the earth. He thought he knew something that God didn't know. God, I've heard that this man has come from the chief priest with papers to take us to jail. Isn't this interesting? He thought that God didn't know all the intimate details about Saul's life. And so in his assessment, he thought he could inform God on the business of Saul. He forgot who created Saul. He forgot that God was working in Saul's life too. He forgot that God was omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. He forgot that God was God and that he could make Saul do whatever he wanted Saul to do. And Ananias' assessment was purely human. It wasn't divine. But he thought God needed to know what he knew. (laughs) Can I spend some time there? I like this because sometimes God has to overlook our human assessments about his call to ministry in our lives. Sometimes we really think we know more about a person than God does. You call yourself telling somebody on God. Or telling God on somebody. And God already knows all about that person's faults. Sometimes we think we got the omniscient gene. And that God is missing some information about some details on something he didn't ask you to do. Sometimes we forget that God knows everything about our assignment before he even gives it to us. And that's why he gives it to you. Sometimes we forget, Sister Wilson, that we got a limited perspective of what God is asking us to do for him. You can't see the beginning and the end. You can't see the details that's going to occur in the ministry he's called you to. But God knows it from beginning to end. Question is then, is there anybody here today Ever got your assessment wrong about a situation? Is there anybody here ever tried to tell God something that you thought he didn't understand? Is there anybody here ever tried to pull God to the side and fill him in on some unknown details? (laughs) God is holy and the sovereign one, the alpha and the omega. Look, he, he, he already got your assessment. He knew your assessment before your assignment. And he's given you the assignment no matter what you think the assessment ought to say. So the best thing to do is just go and do what he told you to do. <laughs> all right, y'all quiet on me, all right. Let me point number three. His assignment, his assessment. Then look at Ananias' ad- admonition from God. Look at it with me. Y'all in here? Verse 15, the text says, after hearing Ananias' assignment, but the Lord said to him, watch this now, go. You see that? Go, and here's why. He's a chosen vessel of mine. 
to bear my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel. And I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. When we get to this point, we discover that God is about through Ananias' assessment. And literally, he orders him. It's, it's written in the, it's a verb here, and it's written in, in the present tense, go right now. And then he gives him what I call is the divine purpose clause. Go, Blackburn, and here's why. Saul is my chosen vessel. I didn't ask you for your opinion, Ananias. Saul is the one I want. I didn't ask you for what you wanted. Saul is the one I choose. Saul is the one I delight in. Saul is who I'm going to use for my divine purpose. Saul is the one I'm going to use for world evangelization. So go and do what I'm telling you to do. (laughs) Look what God says. Here's the purpose clause. He's going to bear my name. He's going to carry my name. He's going to embody my name. He's going to live out the call I have on him because of my name. And he's going to live it out in three different people groups. To the Gentiles, to the Jews, oh, good God Almighty, and to kings and rulers. Listen, God's plan for Saul's life was bigger than anything Ananias could have ever dreamed of. And what God was doing was inviting Ananias in on the biggest discipleship opportunity of a lifetime. Saul was going to write 14 books in the New Testament. He was going to plant churches all over Europe. And Ananias had no idea what God wanted to do in Saul's life. God didn't need Ananias' permission. He just needed Ananias to obey. Can I open a text for you? This text ain't even about Ananias or Saul. This text is about what God was doing in the earth. It's called the acts of the Holy Spirit. What God was doing to save humanity and draw them unto himself. So the text is looking for available servants that God could use in spite of their limited understanding. You want to ask your neighbor, is he talking to you? Is he talking? Because the question begs to be asked, Reverend Mason, who is your soul today? Who is your ministry assignment? Who is God calling you to reach with the good news of Jesus Christ? And I didn't ask this at 8 o'clock, but I asked it now. And how's that ministry going? And Ananias almost misses it. But if Saul gets discipled by Ananias, then the fruit of Saul's ministry is going to be shared with Ananias in glory. The man that disciples Saul, who becomes Paul, has a great crown in glory. Can I say some more? If Saul gets discipled by Ananias, then Ananias gets to see what God can do in him and through him in spite of his fears. Hey, 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 let me put my weight right here. I want to press somebody. Look, I know you're afraid of a difficult assignment. 
but put your fears on the back shelf and move out in faith and watch God do with you what you could never do with yourself. Am I talking to you? Listen, listen. However, if Ananias doesn't disciple Saul, he's going to miss out on seeing one of God's greatest vessels being called into his service. Uh, I don't believe that if Ananias didn't do it, God didn't have somebody else. He always got somebody else. Tell your neighbor, if he don't use you, he'll use somebody else. But the invitation was for Ananias to join God in what he was doing. Can I ask you another question? What has God invited you in on lately? The question is asked because he's always inviting you to something. You lying if you say God ain't invited you to join him on nothing. Because if you are a member in the body of Christ, I ain't talking about this local church. If you just in the body of Christ, the spirit of God lives in you and he's always working around you. And he's always inviting you to join him in what he's doing. So I'm going to ask the question again. What has God asked you to do? And if you don't know, like they say in the hood, you better... I like this. And I'm almost through. I know y'all uncomfortable. I'm going to get on out your way. You know what God does? Like, oh, good to see you, son. God oftentimes invites us to take a risk when working with certain people. Because everybody knows somebody difficult to get along with. This is the last person you would disciple. In fact, you know, you don't even want to talk to him. You say, here's my pastor's number. Here's a sister in the church that can help you. Y'all know that. <laughs> Just look the other way if I'm talking to you. All right, I get it. But the truth is that God can use those people we don't want to talk to. For his honor and his glory. The truth is, is that God specializes in using those people that nobody would think he could use. That's how I got here. Y'all didn't hear me? That's how I got to be your pastor. Because I was the one nobody could use. Are you listening here? Bible says, yeah, and I'm taking my seat. I'm coming to a close. I'm landing a plane. Verse 17, and Ananias, he went his way. And he entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me that you might receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I was happy when I read verse 17 because it gives the picture of obedience in the midst of a fearful assignment. 
It shows that Ananias does not lean and depend on his own intuition. He doesn't allow his assessment of the situation to stop him from obeying God in every area of his life. In spite of what he's feeling, in spite of what he's thinking, in spite of what could happen, might happen, should happen, he obeys God. And he goes into the house. And I like this. I think it's kind of funny. Can I tell you what I see? He come in the house, take. And he don't say a word. He walks up to Saul first and touches him. Just in case he ain't really blind. And then when he sees blind, he lays hands on him. I like the humanity of the text. He lays his hands on him. And then he says, brother Saul. Uh Uh-oh, did y'all catch that right there? There's been a name change. He's gone from being an enemy to being a. Why? Ananias now, seeing the physical symptoms that God had already described about Paul, Saul recognizes he's blind and recognizes this is an assignment from the Lord. And then he begins to speak to him. Brother Saul, the Lord, Trudios, supreme ruler of the universe, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me. I'm the one you saw in the vision that you might receive your sight and that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the text says, after he lays his hands on him and announces why he came, verse 18, the power of the Holy Spirit fell and something like scales, the text says, fell off his eyes and he arose you see that right there and was baptized let me press my way to a close when we come to this portion of the text we get to look at what we call is an intimate relationship developing It is what I call, uh, brothers and sisters, a disciple-convert relationship. In other words, it's a picture of the salvific work of God in both Saul's life and in Ananias' life. Because Ananias is a believer, by faith, he has the trust in the salvation of God to save Saul. Y'all catch it? And then because Saul has saw the vision on the Damascus road and said, yes, Lord, what do you want me to do? God says, now go into Damascus and there you will be told what to do. He's waiting. He's fasting for three days and praying. It's a picture of the salvific work of God in his life. And now they were once enemies. But because of God's salvation for their lives, they've been brought into brotherhood. I can't explain it no other way. We were once enemies, but now because of the saving work of God, we're brothers. I was once trying to kill you, but now I've been born again. And now I ain't trying to kill you. I'm trying to receive whatever it is you could teach me. Can I say some more? He calls him Brother Saul. But this is proof here that something has happened in Saul's life. Secondly, he tells him, arise 
and be baptized. Can y'all hear me? Can y'all really hear me? Baptism doesn't happen until after conversion happens. Are you with me here? No one is asked to be baptized before they get saved. You don't get baptized to be saved. You get baptized because you are. Y'all see that right there? Here's evidence that Saul has been born again. And he's a different man. And then the text closes by saying, he arose and he stayed in Damascus a couple days. There's proof that Saul has been born again. He came Reverend White to kill some folks. Now he's staying now and he's being taught by the same folks he came to kill. He can see now and he's a different man than he was just a few days ago. His eyes are open two times, physically and spiritually. I like that because I think it's very, very powerful. It shows that God can convert even the most vilest heathen. And it also shows you, you ought not give up on people. I don't care what they think they believe. Or what they might be doing. God can stop them in their tracks. And then God needs you to come and do the rest. To disciple them. Can I say some more? You don't have the power to convert nobody. So quit getting mad when they don't believe what you believe. Your job is to pray. And ask God to blind them. So they can see. And then when they see, be ready, be ready for the assignment. What is the assignment? To then explain to them the rest of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful picture that Saul stays in the community that he was coming to terrorize. And as he's there, he gets to, thank you, Lord, sit at Ananias' feet. The one who lays hands on him now gets to be the one to disciple him for a few days. It's interesting. What, what did Ananias teach Saul? Well, to take a snapshot of the whole picture, we don't know. But we know what Saul wrote about. We know the 14 books he talked about. And in his books, can I run it down to you? He talked about God's plan for saving humanity. He already said in Romans that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first and then to the Greek. Didn't he say that right there? And Paul then begins to live out that thesis statement for his life. Every time he goes into a city, he goes to the Jews or the Hebrews first. And he presents the gospel to them. And when they reject him and run out of town, he goes to the Gentiles. And he plants churches. Now this is in accordance to the scripture. Because God says about Paul's ministry or Saul's ministry, I'm going to use him to go to the Gentiles. And the kings. And to the children of Israel. So Ananias had to teach him a little bit about what the entire canon of scripture talked about. What was God's plan for Abraham to make him a father of many nations? 
it was always God's intention to save all of humanity. Hey, help me, Holy Ghost, just a little while. God never intended just to save the Jews only. He always intended from the beginning of time to reach the Gentiles. That's how we got in. If God don't have a plan to redeem us, we in trouble. God's plan was to save us from the beginning of time. He just chose the nation of Israel to come through. Can I turn the light on? It ain't that they better than you or the Gentiles are better than them. No, all have sinned according to God's word. Am I making sense here? And God had planned from the foundation of the earth to save everybody. I got to leave you now. What did they teach Saul? They taught Saul the gospel. What was the gospel? That Jesus came down through 40 and two generations, born of a little virgin girl, wrapped in swaddling clothes. What was the gospel? The gospel was that God had a plan for a broken humanity. The gospel was that he walked the dusty streets of Palestine, gave sight to the blind, gave hearing to the deaf, caused those who were dead to be raised back to life. The gospel was that uh, Jesus had power over the devil and that Jesus could cure diseases and illnesses that was plaguing humanity. The gospel was that Jesus said, I'm going to lay down my life. And if I lay down my life, I'll take it up again. The gospel is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel is that God came to redeem a dying world. And that in his redemption, his son would become the lamb of God. And Jesus as the suffering servant of heaven would lay down his life outside the city of Jerusalem. I heard, I heard the old story say one Friday on a hill called Calvary. Jesus to Christ laid down his life that I might have eternal life. The old story said he took my place for my transgressions. He took my place for my misbehavior. He took my place for my inability to walk upright before holy God. I'm glad today Paul got the gospel and I'm glad today he delivered that message. See without that message I I could not be saved. Without that message I wouldn't know that he died on a hill called Calvary. Without that message I wouldn't know he descended into the grave. Without that word I would know he went into hell, took the sting out of the grave, took victory over death and early Sunday morning he rose with all power of heaven and earth in his hands 
Without that word, I'm still a crib in South Central Los Angeles. Without that word, I still got a problem with substance abuse. Without that word, I still got issues and heartaches. Without that word, I got no hope for a dark, dying world. Without that word, there is no encouragement for a weary, wounded warrior. Without that word, we might as well close the hymnal, go home, and prepare to die. Without that word, I got no hope in a hopeless situation. Without that word, I can't know him as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Without that word, I never know him as Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. Without that word, I can't know him as Jehovah Rapha, or Jehovah Nisi, or Elohim, or El Shaddai, or Yahweh, Emmanuel. Without that word, I'm ignorant to the things of God, but I'm glad so glad Saul had a disciple I'm glad somebody taught him what he knew and he wrote it down and because he wrote it down I got proof I can make it I got proof that I'm alright I'm glad today somebody disciple me I'm glad today they didn't give up on me are you glad today that they didn't give up on you are you glad today somebody walk with you in your blindness are you glad today somebody touched you so the scales can fall off I'm so glad scales fell off now ain't God alright Ain't God alright? Ain't God alright? You ought to help yourself here. High five your neighbor. Tell them I'm glad today. I ain't blind like I used to be. I'm glad today. I ain't confused no more. Tell your neighbor I know the truth. And his name is Jesus. Mary's baby. Jesus, the Lamb of God, he said, I'm the way and I'm the truth. Oh, yes, he is. Ain't he all right? Ain't he all right? Ain't he all right? Hey, I'm through preaching here, but I remember I called myself going to study Islam because I wanted to be a black nationalist. I remember when I tried a little yoga because I thought weed was my pathway. I remember when I worshipped the old English 800. I remember when I bowed down to the blue rag. But I'll tell you what I'm glad about. That fire 
Friday night in the Los Padrinos Juvenile Hall when I bowed down after hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and I knew something had happened down on the inside. I was in jail, but I was free. And guess what, y'all? It wasn't Islam that did it. Wasn't the homeboys that did it. Wasn't AA or NA that did it. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news. The good news. The good news. Is there anybody here that can remember the good news? Is there anybody here remember what it did to you? Can you remember how the good news changed you? Can you remember how the good news picked you up? Turned you around. Place your feet on solid ground. You remember, bro? Do you remember how the good news changed your perspective? Gave you a new worldview? The good news make you love your enemies. The good news will make you run and ain't nobody chasing you. The good news will make you take off your fault and love somebody difficult to love. The good news will make you long suffering. It'll make you peaceful in a hostile situation. The good news will make you hang on in there when you feel like quitting. The good news will make you a peacemaker when you used to throw down. The good news will make you hang on a little while longer. Is there anybody here know that good news? Do you know it? Say yeah. Say yeah. Say yeah. Oh yeah. Good news. Good news. Good news. Good news. Give the Lord some praise. For his good news. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's got a ministry just for you. Just like Ananias. But guess what? It's going to cost you something. What, Pastor? It's going to cost you to face your fears. Everything you think that God isn't able to do, you're going to have to deal with him. If you accept the assignment of being a witness for him. In the dark and dying world. Not only will it cost you that, but it's going to cost you to have to deal with your own limited assessments. Can I, can I be playing with you here? Family, listen to me. You might not like me. I'm okay. But I want you to hear me. Quit putting your assessments on God. Your assessment on the situation don't dictate what God thinks about the situation. And you can never see things from God's perspective as long as you're grounded on earth in time with a limited perspective. Your job is not to even see this situation or the circumstance in its entirety. It's to trust God in time, Kairos, while he's asking you to join him in the eternal plan of God. Here's the question. What are you going to do with that? Are you willing to trust him? In this limited space, in this limited hour, with limited information. If you do, your joy will be
that you'll get to see what God is doing after a while. Give the Lord some praise. Pastor White. Grace and joy, family. It's a great day. 